0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. It's estimated that between two and 3% of the population have some form of valvular heart disease, and this tends to increase with age. Most of these patients are initially cared for by primary care providers. Most valvular disease deaths are due to disease of the aortic valve and it's important to recognize these patients early as most can be managed medically unless the valvular disease progresses, making surgery necessary. What are the presenting symptoms of aortic valve disease? What's the best way to manage and follow these patients? And when should a cardiologist and cardiac surgeon become involved in the care of the patient? We'll discuss these questions and more with cardiologist Dr. Reka Mankad from the Mayo Clinic Department of Cardiovascular Disease. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Reka, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, it's a pleasure. Let's talk first about the classic physical findings of aortic stenosis.
1: Okay. So this is on everybody's uh, board exam, internal medicine, cardiology, or otherwise. So aortic stenosis gives you a systolic ejection murmur heard best at the base of the heart. The more severe that aortic stenosis gets, then you get additional uh, physical exam findings, such as a delayed carotid upstroke. So we call it parvis at tardis. So it's a lower contour and delayed the second heart sound becomes softer and you lose the A2 component of that second heart sound. So you can have just a singular second heart sound which is just made up of the P2. Typically with aortic stenosis, the ventricle gets hypertrophied, so you're going to get a sustained PMI and uh, classically a fourth heart sound, an S4 that you'll hear out at the apex. So that's sort of the classic, that systolic ejection murmur. But I will say that the severity of the murmur doesn't indicate how bad the aortic stenosis is, so the, the actual grade of murmur doesn't tell you necessarily how bad the AS is, but it's really that loss of that second heart sound. That's the classic best marker that the as is severe when you lose your a2 component okay
0: well Reka, you just reminded me of a patient i had seen before but not for like 10 years before and whereas most heart sounds go you know lub dub lub dub lub dub this one was going fonda 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 <laughs> and i couldn't figure out why the difference and then i realized it's because i hadn't seen him in so long and i guess everybody knows that absence makes the heart go fun <laughs> I'm sorry that was totally <laughs> unnecessary but um I liked it. Let's go back to aortic stenosis. What are the known causes for developing aortic stenosis?
1: Really, the biggest thing is getting older. So all of us are at risk as we age of getting some amount of aortic stenosis, not necessarily severe, but the valve degenerates with time. Now, we do see that the same risk factors for coronary artery disease play a role in aortic stenosis. So being hypertensive, hyperlipidemic, diabetic, obese, those all tend to be associated with aortic stenosis as well. So they kind of go hand in hand, coronary disease and aortic stenosis. Otherwise, the other big cause is having a bicuspid aortic valve. So that's obviously a congenital heart defect that may or may not be picked up in younger ages. We used to say that aortic stenosis due to a bicuspid aortic valve, you would sort of see that person come to clinical attention in their 40s or 50s. But we now see that that person could show up in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s, where it's a bicuspid valve that's stenosed, giving the murmur and and the symptomatology.
0: Well, when we're performing a heart exam, a basilar murmur over the aortic valve is a common murmur that we hear. Do all of these patients need an echo?
1: You know, that's a great question. And, And I don't know if we totally know the answer to that, because interestingly, Aortic sclerosis, which is a real entity, and that's a valve that's got some little bit of calcification on it sort of scattered, can cause turbulence and can cause a murmur. Well, does that mean anything? Well, not at that stage, but we know that aortic sclerosis is the precursor to aortic stenosis. And if you have aortic sclerosis, you should be getting another echo in about three to five years. So I think that it's not unreasonable if you hear a systolic murmur and it's audible, it's not something that you hear and then it goes away you know, in that same time frame. but it's sort of consistent. I think that that warrants an echocardiogram because aortic sclerosis is the precursor to aortic stenosis so identifying that is going to tell you aha i need to get another echo in about three to five years to see if this valve has developed into some trivial or mild as
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and an echo is really non-invasive as best we know it's it's very safe i would agree with that let's say we've identified some patient with aortic stenosis how often should we follow that patient
1: well it depends on how severe it is so the valve guidelines really highlight this very nicely. But if you have mild aortic stenosis, then the next echo is three to five years. Moderate is one to two years, and severe is six to 12 months. Now, I believe that sometimes you need to do it more frequently than that, depending on patients' other comorbid conditions. Certain conditions may tend to make that aortic stenosis progress at a slightly faster rate, although this isn't really well-identified in the literature, but people with certain inflammatory conditions, so rheumatoid arthritis or other inflammatory states, may progress at somewhat faster rates. And so you may be prone to check that person a little bit sooner than what the guidelines say. For a bicuspid aortic valve, because bicuspid aortic valves are associated with an aortic dilatation or an aortopathy, so you have to look at both of those conditions to determine the frequency of follow-up imaging.
0: Okay, how does the murmur change as the aortic stenosis progresses?
1: Well, the murmur may not change as far as severity. It may get louder, it may not get louder, but really what changes is other features. So the loss of the second heart sound, that tells you it's severe, but before that, you'll get radiation up into the sternal notch or into the carotids. So as the aortic stenosis gets moderate or greater, you're gonna hear it into the carotids obviously the carotid upstroke we talked about. But other than the loss of that second heart sound, I mean, that's really one of the classics for severe aortic stenosis. Otherwise, the murmur itself, the location will still be loudest at the base of the heart, although it might radiate across the entire precordium. You can hear it everywhere, which makes it somewhat difficult because you could hear it out at the apex and some people then confuse it for mitral regurgitation. Mm-hmm. But it's really that quality of the murmur because it is a systolic ejection murmur. So you're going to hear that crescendo decrescendo, which mitral regurgitation is going to be holosystolic. So it won't have that up and down sort of sound when you listen to it. And also mitral regurgitation is not going to go up into the carotids.
0: In the patients who either have not been diagnosed with AS or have not come in for follow-up, what presenting symptoms might they discover?
1: The biggest one really is feeling a little short of breath, just mildly dyspneic with certain activities. Hey, I was able to mow the lawn last year, and now I got to take a couple of stops when I mow the lawn. I could walk up a flight of stairs without any problem, and now it takes me a little longer. And then the always nonspecific fatigue. (laughs) And that one's always tough to sort out, but it really goes hand in hand with being a little short of breath. I think that is the one that we see most. Classically, you hear about angina, syncope, and heart failure, but those are sort of really kind of the end stages of severe AS. We Really now, primarily as cardiologists, when somebody comes to us with AS, what we see is that decreased exercise tolerance and that mild dyspnea with activities, particularly ones that didn't give them a problem just a year prior.
0: Okay. Early on, when we manage these patients, pharmacologic therapy is often started. When is this initiated and what pharmacologic therapy should we start with?
1: Well, really there is no medication to treat aortic stenosis. So the valve itself, there's nothing you can do as far as the valve itself is concerned. And we really, unfortunately, have found no medicines at the current time that slow the progression of aortic stenosis. We had hoped statins would do it since the same risk factors for coronary disease are what causes AS. So, hey, statins uh, should work. They don't. So what do we have? Well, you certainly want to make sure that Other cardiovascular conditions are well-controlled, so hypertension, diabetes, the lipids should all still be well-controlled, but they don't really specifically treat the aortic stenosis in and of itself. Now, why is it important to control those other things? Because again, coronary artery disease can happen concomitantly to aortic stenosis, so you want all of that stuff limited as much as possible. Hypertension is a big one, and why that's important is as an echocardiographer, when we're reading echocardiograms and assessing the gradients on the valve and doing our calculations for valve area, when somebody is markedly hypertensive, sometimes our numbers don't make sense. And the driver for the gradient might actually be systemic hypertension. So if somebody's really hypertensive, we want to get that well treated and then reassess the valve numbers, particularly if the valve gradients and areas are discordant.
0: How about surgery? When is that thought to be necessary?
1: So the current guidelines, if you have severe aortic stenosis and are symptomatic, that's easy. Symptomatic aortic stenosis requires intervention. If you have a drop in the ejection fraction, a left ventricular ejection fraction of 50% or lower, that would be an indication to proceed to valve intervention. And obviously, if you need open heart surgery for other reasons, you have significant coronary disease that requires open heart surgery, then you would fix the aortic valve if it's moderately stenosed or worse. There is new data that suggests that asymptomatic aortic stenosis should be intervened upon as well, and that that is a risk factor for having cardiovascular events. So that's still sort of New data on the horizon. Now, the problem is, is is somebody truly asymptomatic with severe aortic stenosis? And I think that's what we all struggle with. They come in and say, hey, doc, I feel absolutely fine. I have no problems. And we have an echo, an exam that shows severe aortic stenosis. In those cases, we'll actually put that patient on a treadmill. Because frequently, aortic stenosis develops very, very slowly over years and even decades. So the patient may not even realize that they're functionally limited because they've slowed down sort of over the years. So doing an exercise test shows us their limitation. And if they're functionally limited and they're not doing what's expected as far as functional aerobic capacity, or they have blood pressure drops or arrhythmias, that would be data that would say we need to move ahead with aortic valve intervention. And you note that I keep saying aortic valve intervention, and I'm not saying a surgical intervention because as everybody knows, transcatheter aortic valve replacement or TAVR is really the newest kid on the block and really has taken a big chunk of the AS patients as far as how we're intervening on them now.
0: Okay. So let's talk about the surgical options. The aortic valve has potential to be repaired. Let's start there.
1: So really for aortic stenosis, there isn't a lot of repair options for aortic stenosis. So if the valve is calcified, thickened, restricted, that really isn't a repairable valve. We, there is repairable options for aortic regurgitation, particularly if it's a bicuspid aortic valve, but really for aortic stenosis, repair is not an option. So you're really talking about replacement. And we have surgical replacement or transcatheter replacement. And of the surgical replacement, then we have mechanical aortic valve replacements or bioprosthetic tissue aortic valve replacements. When we do it by a transcatheter, then it's only a tissue Bioprosthesis. We don't put it in mechanical valves percutaneously.
0: How is it determined which procedure the patients get? I just find the repair or replacement of a valve via catheter just beyond my wildest imagination here.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I've been practicing for 25 years, and if you had told me 20 years ago, yeah. I would have said this was hocus pocus. So it's really pretty amazing. And really the indications have expanded to a larger and larger swath of the population with aortic stenosis. It started off that it was really a high risk patient who had too high of a a surgical risk, it was prohibitive. So that was the patient, but now we've gone to intermediate uh, risk and even low risk patients. Now, the big issue is, do they need other surgery? So if they have multivessel coronary disease that's best served with open heart surgery and bypass, then a surgical AVR should be done. If they need, if it's a bicuspid valve and their ascending aorta is enlarged and needs to be replaced, that should obviously be surgical. But if you don't have those things, then the transcatheter versus the surgical is a conversation to have with the patient. Now, you have to remember that if the patient is relatively young, when you do a transcatheter valve, you're putting in a tissue valve a tissue valve has a lifespan of 10 to 15 years. So if you put in a tissue valve in a younger patient, you are looking at a potential repeat procedure in 10 to 15 years. So a 50 to 60-year-old patient, a transcatheter valve does not make the best sense long-term. We would still state that that person should get a mechanical aortic valve replacement because that has the best longevity. But It's difficult now because patients all are aware of the transcatheter option. They know somebody who's had the transcatheter option out of the hospital the day after the procedure, you know, back to doing everything they want to do very quickly versus the person who has surgery who's in the hospital for five to seven days, has a midline incision and is more limited. So I think that it's certainly a Uh, discussion you have to have with your patient with shared decision-making to talk about the pros and cons of both approaches. Mm -hmm.
0: All patients who have had an aortic valve replacement require anticoagulation with warfarin.
1: Tissue valves only require three to maybe six months of anticoagulation for the valve itself. They may have another indication for anticoagulation. Remember, this is a lot of older patients coming with aortic stenosis, so they might have atrial fibrillation, so they may have an alternative reason for anticoagulation. But from the valve standpoint alone, a tissue valve, we recommend anticoagulation for three, sometimes six months post-implantation. For a mechanical aortic valve prosthesis, it's lifelong anticoagulation and currently only with Warfarin.
0: Okay. So we have a patient who's had an aortic valve replacement. How do we follow them?
1: Well, the first question to ask is how was that aortic valve replaced? So if it was done with a transcatheter procedure or the TAVR, we actually recommend yearly echocardiograms for those patients. If it was done surgically, and it was done as a bioprosthetic valve. Current guidelines say that you should check one soon after hospital dismissal. And then at five years, then 10 years, and then annually. That's what the guidelines say. Now, a lot of us don't completely agree with that recommendation because we see that bioprosthetic valve thrombosis can happen sort of earlier than that and may only be picked up by an echocardiogram and an elevated gradient. So a lot of us think that tissue valves should have yearly echocardiograms. Mechanical aortic valve prosthesis actually need no routine echocardiograms from the valve standpoint itself. Obviously, these patients usually have lots of other things that might be going on, but from the valve standpoint itself, you really don't need annual echocardiograms Having one done somewhere five years or 10 years is fine, but otherwise there's no need for serial evaluation if the patient is otherwise doing well.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk just a bit on aortic insufficiency. Tell me the classic physical findings for a patient with aortic insufficiency.
1: I think this is one of the hardest exam findings to be able to auscultate in the Mm -hmm. outpatient clinical setting. It's a soft, Blowing diastolic murmur heard around the aortic region, but actually more so along the left sternal border. Because if you think about the jet of aortic regurgitation, it's going back into the LV. So that murmur is best heard along the left sternal border, sort of starting in the aortic region and then going down into the the mid chest along the sternal border. It's a blowing, low intensity murmur, hearing it with the bell. I mean, it can be a very difficult murmur best heard if you lean the patient forward. So I'll frequently have the patient lean forward. I'll also have them take a breath out and hold their breath. So at the end of expiration really brings the aortic valve closer to the front of the chest and you can hear it better.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. What's the association between the aortic root dilating and aortic insufficiency?
1: Yeah, that's a pretty common cause for aortic regurgitation. So if you think the aortic valve is sort of the structure really at the base of the aorta, you know, it's between our LV and our aorta. So when the aorta dilates, it stretches the annulus of the aortic valve as well. And that can even be if the the mid-portion of the aorta dilates. So it really stretches on the leaflets of the aortic valve. So you typically get a central jet of aortic regurgitation with anything that can dilate the aorta, which can be due to hypertension, one of the very common causes of dilating the aorta, but things like marfans can certainly do it, other connective tissue diseases, and then a bicuspid aortic valve obviously can independently leak from it being a bicuspid, but they have an aortopathy that dilates the aorta, and so that combination can further cause aortic regurgitation. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I don't know any benign causes of an aortic regurgitation murmur, so I assume when we hear that, we should get an echo.
1: That's right. I always say any aortic regurgitation is pathologic. Mm -hmm. Almost any other valve has a little leak. You always see trivial mitral regurgitation, trivial tricuspid regurgitation. I read echoes all day. We see that all the time. But even trivial aortic regurgitation is abnormal. That doesn't mean you need to do anything about it. And certainly, it doesn't mean that you should make the patient anxious. But trivial aortic regurgitation is abnormal. It means there's something either wrong with the valve leaflets or the aorta. So it's something to uh, take stock of. You're unlikely to hear that on exam but if it's picked up on an echo done for another reason, it's just important to sort of take note of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, for the patient who has not had much medical care, what presenting symptoms might they notice from aortic regurgitation?
1: It's like all the others, really. It's fatigue and shortness of breath. And again, with aortic regurgitation, as it gets severe, the heart gets really big. Now, I will say that aortic regurgitation is pretty well tolerated. The heart can get really large and you can be asymptomatic and the good news is is even if you present pretty late with that once you repair or replace the valve the heart can shrink that that ventricle sort of responds nicely to intervention but really it's it's very vague symptoms but mostly it's exercise intolerance fatigue and shortness of breath
0: okay and when should we refer these patients for treatment or consider these patients for treatment
1: Well, any severe valvular problem should be considered for treatment. So severe aortic regurgitation should certainly be considered for treatment. Again, we look at whether they have symptoms. Symptoms is the easiest thing. So if you have symptoms and severe AR, then you meet criteria to intervene. If they're asymptomatic, One, we like to prove that they're asymptomatic, so sometimes we'll do exercise testing on them as well. But otherwise, there's other echo criteria, and that's a drop in ejection fraction. Uh, Now it's 55%. It used to be 50, but it's 55% or lower, or the heart is getting larger on each serial echocardiogram. So those are the things we look for when we decide to intervene. And again, That's why having a cardiologist follow those patients or at least see them intermittently when it's greater than moderate is important to make sure we're following those dimensions closely and looking for those subtle signs and symptoms.
0: Okay. And what are the surgical options for treatment?
1: So you can repair aortic valves that are regurgitating, but it really is a surgeon with expertise in that area. It is not common. So you really need to go to a center of excellence where there's a surgeon that's well-trained in that Otherwise, the other option is a mechanical aortic valve replacement or a bioprosthetic, similar to what is done for aortic stenosis. Now, sometimes you'll hear things like a Roth procedure, where they actually take the pulmonic valve, the patient's native pulmonic valve, and put it in the aortic position and put an artificial valve in the pulmonic position. That's done in younger patients, although it's making a little bit of a resurgence in the adult population, but again, needs to be done under an experience surgeons' uh, evaluation and care.
0: Okay. And then finally, there have been changes in recommendations for SPE prophylaxis. So who currently, regarding the aortic valve, should have SPE prophylaxis?
1: So anybody who's had a valve replacement, whether it's tissue or uh, mechanical, gets antibiotic prophylaxis forever. For native aortic valve disease, we used to say bicuspid valves needed antibiotic prophylaxis. They do not anymore unless they've already fortunately had a clinical episode of endocarditis.
0: Okay. Well, Reka, you've given us some really good information on aortic valve disease. Can you summarize by maybe giving us two or three key points?
1: Number one, aortic stenosis is common. Everyone is going to see aortic stenosis if they take care of patients, particularly if you're taking care of older patients. Uh, Recognize that getting echocardiogram when you hear an aortic stenosis murmur murmur is important to set up the serial echocardiograms that are going to be done uh, for the patient. Number two, aortic stenosis should be intervened upon when it's severely narrowed if patients have any degree of symptoms or evidence of LV dysfunction but there may be a role to intervene on asymptomatic patients as well. Aortic regurgitation is a relatively rare phenomena and can be related to valve problems or problems with the aorta. If you hear an aortic regurgitation murmur, which is a very difficult one to hear, definitely get an echocardiogram. And these patients should be followed for LV dilatation and LV dysfunction to determine timing of intervention.
0: We've been discussing aortic valve disease with Dr. Reka Mankad, a cardiologist from the Department of Cardiovascular Diseases at the Mayo Clinic. Reka, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Uh, You covered a lot of ground.
1: Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much.
0: You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.